0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Caesars Palace! Las Vegas, Nevada! Site of WrestleMania Nine. Here is your host, Gorilla Monsoon! Welcome to Caesars Palace! Welcome to
1: You ever into a toga party, Declan?
2: Actually, of all the crazy things I did at Saint Cloud State, Phil Mackie, toga party was not
1: one of them. I went to one toga party. Okay, didn't wear a toga. Didn't have one. Yeah, so I was I was out of place well, at said toga party. You can just wear like a bedsheet, right? Are you saying like you didn't even have bed sheets? I feel like Isn't we crashed it or one? something. I don't okay. know. I don't. Okay. I don't remember all the details. Plus, like if you. You bring your bed sheet and it gets dirty. It's uh, just it's a it's it's a big it's it's a big to-do. Sure. So hey, this is WrestleMania <laughs> Rewind, the ninth, actually tenth installment, because we did uh, the most recent one the day after WrestleMania 36. Uh, you can find as special episodes in the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. We are going all the way from WrestleMania one through the history of WrestleMania's, and we have stumbled upon here potentially, if not factually the worst wrestlemania of all time. Yeah. It's in a it's in a it, it, there's a Mount Rushmore of of four of them. This is definitely in contention for the George Washington. Yeah, I was I was very <laughs> disappointed by they, the, by the end of it. They didn't even have enough material for 3 hours. Now it's like yeah. 7 hours oh. and they're cutting matches. This one was 2 hours and 40 minutes. I'll give a quick summary and then we can comb through this thing. April 4th, 1993 at Caesar's Palace. In Las Vegas, the entire commentary team was dressed in togas. And it was it was a it was actually a great sort of uh, handing of the baton for the commentary team because Jim Ross made his WWF yeah. debut. And then he got fired at some point. Then he came back for the Attitude Era. But you had Gorilla Monsoon. You still had Mean Gene Okerlund. But you also had the new guys like Jim Ross, Todd Pettingale, who did the like Saturday morning WWF Superstar Show. So WWF was in a bit of a transitional period here. One full year almost without Hulk Hogan, who, who went on hiatus after WrestleMania 8. And so he comes back for this WrestleMania, and then they're about to enter another decade without Hulk Hogan, or close to another decade without Hulk Hogan. So it's basically this Hulk Hogan-less era of WWF for the first time in 10 years, with the exception of him popping up just for this WrestleMania and the run to the WrestleMania. They were also coming out of a major steroid scandal over the previous year, And we're without Ric Flair, who left the company to go back to WCW. Ultimate Warrior, who I believe was fired. Randy Savage was retired and on commentary for the whole time. And both Sid Justice and British Bulldog, who was hurt, were both not part of this. So they had a really slim down top part of the roster. You brought back old codgers like uh, what's his name, Bob Backlund. Oh yeah, and you had. Yep, and and you had another double main event situation to just make up for the fact that you didn't really have a great main event. Hogan and Brutus, the barber beefcake versus money incorporated for the tag team titles in the middle of the card. And then Bret Hart versus Yokozuna in one of the rare Hulk Hogan list main events scheduled until Hulk crashed it, which right. we'll talk about against Yokozuna for the WWF championship. What was your favorite part about a terrible WrestleMania? Dad? Yeah,
2: well, I thought it did a great job. Like it sets the scene at first of this great crowd and you kind of even feel the ridiculousness of the Toga party in Vegas, and then Macho Man comes out to do commentary. To be honest, I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be de boring. I thought this was going to be a, a snooze fest. And to be honest, the highlights of the whole thing was Macho Man Randy Savage doing commentary and having these hilarious one-liner <laughs> Macho Man stuff. Ooh, I like it. That's true. Not only strength, but flexibility. And then my favorite, he used this one like seven times. Doing the thing.
1: It was just do the thing, here. yeah. That's right. Gonna do the thing at WrestleMania Nine. Gonna go to the tables. That was Some the blackjack, yeah.
2: only highlight of this whole WrestleMania was Macho Man and his hilarious like grudge with Gorilla Monsoon. I believe it was. Yeah. you know he was button betting back and forth with him. That was the highlight. Was the commentary and like the pomp and circumstance of the WrestleMania, the results and the
1: card, a complete snooze fest. So. There weren't a lot of highlights and this isn't a WrestleMania. If I'm, if I'm going back and I, I get to watch any wrestling card, any pay per view and I get to pick 20 of them. Like this is nowhere near the list of WrestleManias I would actively choose to go back and watch outside of this segment. Yeah. But I think my favorite part about it was Doink the Clown. (laughs) Doink the Clown gets a lot of crap because he kind of represents the WWE was still. In in fact, not only still in the cartoonish phase, but they ramped up the cartoonish phase in this period, and they just leaned on everyone had a cartoon or comic book gimmick: the Mountie, the Big Boss Man, the Million Dollar Man, Doink, the Evil Clown, right? Brutus the Barber, Beefcake. Everyone has to be like, there's like a plumber guy, yeah. and then there's an alligator hunter <laughs> guy, and it's and and meanwhile, WCW is migrating more toward just guys with normal names and more sort of blurring the lines between wrestling and real life. Mm -hmm. And I think Doink the Clown gets a bad rap because he was the, he was the central cartoonish sort of kid figure. He's a clown. And the WWE, the WWE WWF is trying to push these clown uh, comic characters and it's not working anymore. And that's why ratings are going down. But I actually think Doink the Clown was a great gimmick. I think he would have been even better in the Attitude Era if you had sort of this edgy, uh, you know, steel chair. Can you imagine Doink the Clown with like a barbed wire bat or something? Oh, yeah. Evil Clown Guy? Yeah. If you put Doink more of like in the Attitude
2: Era of like 98 to 2002, he would have thrived. Oh, my God. He would have thrived.
1: It would have been so much fun. Yeah. And so he was, I I feel like he was a little out of place in that he was an evil clown, but they weren't really, like, they had kind of a blood-free policy for a while, and they just... I just envision if he had come along five or six years later and he's, I, this is ridiculous. I could see him like in a hell in a cell match against triple H or something or right. against Shawn Michaels. Like he's fighting an evil clown who's pulling out thumbtacks or, you know, what's he pulling out of his hat? Oh my God. It's, it's a pocket knife. Yeah. He's going to stab somebody. Um, and so he, he beats crush with the help of a lookalike. Dink, yeah. doink and dink the clown. That's right. Dink. Okay.
2: Cause when I was watching it, <laughs> I was like, man, doink was thicker like when i was when he was they did the promo and then the match like i don't remember doink like being this thick so it was really dink was it really dink that was fighting him at first and then doink came out no no i think was it the opposite no i
1: think doink doink was the one that was fighting in the match okay and then dink came out okay and i believe i might be getting this wrong i think dink was actually skinner remember skinner from wrestlemania 8 yes okay yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a couple of guys they were running through a couple different gimmicks but he winds up beating crush and crush is a great example too of just vince mcmahon just trying to get big guys over all right let's get a big guy out here and put him in some bright colors and right give him a mullet and have him flex it's like crush is one of the most boring good guy big guy good guys in early 90s wwf so um, I think I think Doik the Clown actually was, was my highlights? favorite part of this show. All right, what was your least favorite part about WrestleMania now? I didn't like the start, and I was really excited
2: for the start because I love Shawn Michaels, and I thought, oh, great, another WrestleMania starting with Michaels, and I didn't know the whole why him and Luna are now teaming up, and then Sensational Sherry came out with uh, Tatanka. So I was trying to figure out that, and I was like, oh, this will be great. And then the match is like 20 minutes. Yeah, and they went. It, they went really long. It was the longest of all the card. was Was the first match? I think they
1: told those guys, "All right, listen, we only have like eight or nine matches, and uh, one of them involves a seven foot giant Gonzalez and the Undertaker, and there's no way those guys can go more than about seven or eight minutes." Yeah. Um, Yokozuna can't go more than like eight or nine minutes. So someone needs to go 20 minutes. All right. It's it's you guys. And and like typical Shawn Michaels match where like he gets his ass
2: kicked for like 90% of this match. And then I believe it ended. It just ends in a DQ, which um, a lot of the or by count out by count out is how this one ended. And that was like it set the theme. For the rest of the mania of these weird results at the end of each match. Yes. Like it it, it was a whole thing where there was countouts and DQs and restarts and new matches. Like it was incredibly bumpy.
1: It was weird. Yeah. Usually WrestleMania is is the blow off for the entire year and almost everything is clean, right? Because you're not It's like they used WrestleMania to just set up the next pay-per-view or something. Yeah. Like that's what you this is what you would do with other pay-per-views to to just keep stories going forward. Um, Also, so Tatanka is another great example of they're they're clearly trying to clone. They're trying to create good guys and popular good guys, and they're trying to clone like the warrior and Hulk Hogan and see if they can rekindle. Yeah. And so Tatanka, Tatanka comes out and they say, all right, what can we do? Like he's popular and he was one of the most popular stars in the WWF for like two years. And they even gave him the Hulk up thing. Yeah. Where at the end of the match. All right, he's getting his ass kicked, and and he needs to power out of it somehow, and he just becomes impervious to pain like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior where the opponent doesn't know what to do, and they're just kind of like delivering chops and kicks, and Tatanka keeps powering up, and then he does his Native American tribal dance. Right. It's like, all right, they just Whoa. like, they didn't know, they didn't really know what they were doing, and they were, in fairness, like, this is probably something else we can dive into. Bret Hart was given the mantle of, all right, Hogan's out, Warrior's out. Flair's gone. Savage is retired. We just need someone that we trust to work good matches and connect with the crowd. And so Bret Hart was the champion for the majority of, I think the 1992 into 1993, uh, you know, WrestleMania season. And he's great in the ring and he became pretty good on the microphone later on, but he's also just not the most, you go from charismatic Hulk Hogan and acid tripping maniac on the microphone, ultimate warrior and macho man on the mic and Roddy Piper, and all these guys that were at the top of the card from WrestleMania one through eight and Bret Hart probably wasn't fully ready to be at the top of the card. So I understand like Hulk Hogan was still the most popular wrestler in the world. And Vince McMahon is trying to figure out, all right, Bret Hart is our champion, but he's also not good enough in certain areas to just carry this thing forward. And it's like, they had a big discussion at some point and said, well, can Bret Hart standing with the WWF Championship be like the lasting memory of WrestleMania 9? To which I would say, oh, it probably has to be. Like, yeah. you're carrying forward and he's your champion. And if he's standing at the end of WrestleMania 9 with the title, then it, it puts him over even more to be even more popular. Mm-hmm. And instead, Vince McMahon chickens out at some point. This is my le- my least favorite part about WrestleMania 9 was just Hulk Hogan hijacking the entire show for no reason.
2: Yeah, I didn't understand it.
1: The main event, like, he comes in, the main event was hijacked when. So Bret Hart gets salt in the eyes from Mister Fuji. Yokozuna rolls him over and pins him. Very anticlimactic, like yeah. salt in the eyes. You can't, you can't kick out. Now guys are kicking out of nine finishers. Yeah, right. It takes like six F fives to put the Undertaker <laughs> away. Bret Hart gets salt in the eyes. He can't even kick out. Done. Ridiculous. So Hogan runs in, pleads to the officials, tries to defend Bret Hart, uh, and 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 just like explain what happened. And then Mister Fuji gets on the microphone without any processing or anything, it's like the match ended 10 seconds ago. And Mr. Fuji is like in the ring with the microphone and not to be insensitive, but like with the crowd noise and Mr. Fuji's accent, you couldn't even really hear what he was saying or understand what he was saying every, you know, like third word, but you could sort of make out like Yokozuna is challenging Hulk Hogan for the WWF title. And it doesn't make any sense. Like Yokozuna just won the championship in the main event at WrestleMania. It's over. Just get out of town, go to the craps tables and, Go drink a martini. And instead, like, he, after fighting a grueling match, and Hulk Hogan's well-rested, he puts his title up for no reason, loses on the spot in 22 seconds, and Hogan hijacks the celebration at the end. Yeah. Hulk Hogan in the ding, ding! The crowd wants it to go for it, but now Fuji reaching back into his kimono there, and it's got more than sold whatever. In the
0: eyes of Yokozuna, Hogan knocks Fuji down down and down goes to the the No!
2: The only good part. Is young Jim, Ro- younger dude, Jim Ross, dude, losing his mind? He was great.
1: He's unbelievable. So he's uh, so good. When you just play the audio there, because I, I, if you would have asked me, hey, what was Jim Ross's call on that, having watched it, I said I wouldn't remember. There yeah. was just so much happening. It's outside at Caesar's Palace. Hogan, There's salt, and so I wasn't really paying attention to Jim Ross. But when you play it, it's like wow, Jim Ross nailed that call. He's the king. You can hear his voice and translate it forward to like. Mick Foley and Triple H yeah. and Stone Cold, Stone Cold. Yeah. So that was that was kind of fun, I guess, going back and, and I, Jim Ross.
2: I know Hulk like issued a challenge in that promo before and was like, I'll challenge the winner of whoever wins this bout. And you just kind of thought, Oh, so it'll set up the next pay per view or card. And no, they he literally meant I'm gonna ch- I guess I'm gonna challenge you the second this match is over.
1: And uh we're gonna play this, but be forewarned. This is very racist. Yes. This is, the, this is 1993 here.
0: That's why right now, Bret Hart, I'm issuing a challenge to either you or the Jap, brother. Jeez. Whoever wins the God. WWF title, I want the first shot at it. But let me tell you something, Mean Gene. With me, all my Hulkamaniacs, and the attitude that Bret Hart has, I guarantee you, dude, the WWF title is staying right here in the WWF, right here in the US of A. And what you're going to do?
1: <laughs> gonna hijack a wrestlemania near you yeah i just
2: didn't i didn't know the story and even when he's in the tag team match to start i, th- I thought hogan was done i didn't even know hogan was like involved in the card until because they didn't even like promote it i don't think vince mcmahon really even showed it in the little quick video that he did to start the show so when he comes out i was like oh hulk hogan is here and then he has this infamous black eye, which actually like it looked like a pretty legitimate black eye.
1: It was. And we're going to get into the why there okay. when we get into fun facts from listener Mike, who sends us a novel every yeah. time we do these episodes. So
2: I just I didn't understand, man. It was just the whole thing was a mess
1: yes. from start to
2: finish. It was a mess.
1: Do you think since we're getting our first real taste of Jim Ross in the big spotlight now he was with WCW and he had done some big pay-per-views of WCW, but this is like Jim Ross on the big stage, big stage for the first time. For your money, is Jim Ross the best wrestling play-by-play guy ever? Yes, and I I put him in all of Sports Play-by-Play. I'm
2: dead serious. And I know it's I agree, completely dude. different <laughs> when when it's fixed and he's def- and he's obviously involved. Like Jim Ross wasn't just, oh, a commentator and will f- will we'll slip and things like he was a very higher up in the WWF for personal management. Yeah, he was a talent manager. And a talent and manager, scout, right? Scout, yep. So, like, he wasn't just, oh, a, a Joe Schmo commentator and he absorbs all the elements. No, he was, like, thoroughly involved in the heavy decision-making that went in to the WWF. So, I've always admired him. And, yeah, I I was so excited to hear him for the first time. And I'm excited to get to other WrestleManias when he absolutely loses his mind. The Stone Cold call, too. So, it was great. He is he is for my money one of the best play by play guys in all of sports and
1: entertainment. God, can you imagine an alternate reality? Now Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler were great. And they and their sweet spot of like there was a five year run from like ninety seven through probably the early 2000s, like two thousands, like oh two, oh three, where Jerry Lawler was playing the bad guy yeah. and and he hasn't been the heel announcer for a long time. But when he was the heel and good old JR was the face, those guys at the top of their game, I mean, that is John Madden, Pat Summerall, like that is Chris Collinsworth, Al Michaels of wrestling. But can you imagine an alternate reality in which we get the Jim Ross, Bobby Heenan pairing, which Mm. we did get in Macho Man was the third wheel, right? We got that pairing at WrestleMania nine for a large chunk of the show. Can you imagine if those guys, if, because Bobby Heenan was incredible on the microphone too, if you got Bobby Heenan and him as the weasel heel announcer, (sighs) With Jim Ross, that could have been awesome too throughout the '90s,
2: hundred percent. And I wasn't really—I mean, I knew of Bobby Heenan before I started doing the the rewinds here, but I got to experience him too, and Monsoon. And I—I I didn't really get to know—I know I knew Mean Gene. Everyone knows who Mean Gene is, and I knew the Fink, but I didn't really know Monsoon or Heenan at all. So it's—it it, it was a pretty cool delight to hear these guys from the, from beforehand. But Bobby Heenan and Jim Ross, yeah, no, that is the alternate reality paradise of commentators of what if, what could have happened if uh, those two were paired together.
1: All right. Another match we have to talk about the undertaker against giant Gonzalez. This was uh, early undertaker. He's just, he's kind of coming into his own here. He's, he's becoming more popular and giant Gonzalez with Harvey Whippleman. So the backstory on giant Gonzalez, he was actually drafted in the third round of the 1985 NBA draft by the Atlanta Hawks, seven feet tall. He wound up really doing nothing in the NBA. But uh, Ted Turner, because I, I don't know if Ted Turner owned the Hawks, but Atlanta-based Ted Turner yeah. basically said, all right, well, if this dude can't play basketball, then let's pump him into WCW. So he actually went and he wrestled in the WCW for a couple of years. I think he had a couple. He definitely wrestled Ric Flair at one point, uh, but he was El Gigante in WCW. Vince signs him because they're, they're just looking for bad guys, big bad guys to put against Undertaker, and they're just looking for talent. And so he comes over to WWF in 1993, and he's wearing a weird—he made his debut, I think, at the Royal Rumble, and he eliminated Undertaker, even though he wasn't in the match. He wears a weird naked man bodysuit with strategically placed hair patches. So I feel like—and he wasn't the best worker. Like It probably wasn't going to work anyways, but it just felt like, all right, you got this monster giant guy— couldn't you just give him the black Andre the Giant thing like yeah, they gave singlet. to Paul White, the the big show later Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Like, why is he wearing, like, why is he dressed with a naked man bodysuit with strategically placed hair patches? And when I say strategically placed hair patches, I mean strategically <laughs> placed hair patches. Um, it was weird. I, I He did, I, I think, in any other pay per view, I think I'm okay with, like, the chloroform rag on Undertaker's face and the match ending that way because yeah. it sets up the feud going forward. But at WrestleMania, Just like have a a normal ending to a match. Have Undertaker put this guy down. It's obviously early in Taker's
2: career and he's only, this was like his third or fourth mania. They weren't thinking about the streak at this point. Yeah, they weren't. But to me, when I look back on this match, I would say it's the most embarrassing for Undertaker after the Roman Reigns match after he had lost the second time. And luckily that awesome documentary, The Last Ride, where he goes in because... The Brock one, he got legitimately concussed and hurt and really didn't honestly know where he was. I, yeah. I do believe that, too. I know some of this is like maybe a little bit exaggerated and it's not true, but I truly believe he didn't know exactly where the I hell agree. he was in the Brock Lesnar loss. But the Roman Reigns match, I remember watching that the next year and I was like, this, this is embarrassing. This is sad. Like, And, and good on Undertaker to be, I was like, I can't, even though I'm the Undertaker and I'm, I have to hang this up eventually, Like, I can't go out like that. And that's where this giant Gonzalez one ranked for me. I was like, they're going to do that to Undertaker? And they weren't thinking of the streak. He he had yet to really reach his full popularity. But I think I rank it right behind Roman Reigns as like the second most embarrassing moment in Undertaker's
1: career. Yeah. But then he sort of makes up for it. They take him into the back on a stretcher or whatever. And then he shakes off the chloroform and he (laughs) comes back out through the curtain and he's ready to rumble comes back out, he's ready to fight. Giant Gonzalez doesn't know what happened. It's like the Undertaker, man. You can't, you can't put him down. So I knew this, I knew this match ended in a DQ before, and I didn't know that because I, I,
2: I'm aware that he had one of those matches early on. And I remember seeing like vignettes of him wrestling Giant Gonzalez through the years. And because it was like crappy TV back then, you really, I couldn't tell at the time that like, Oh, is that a bodysuit or does Giant Gonzalez actually look this ripped and hairy? Like, I, I didn't Giant know. Is Giant Gonzalez kind of naked? Yeah, in this like, match? is he What's naked? He like, when, when I remember seeing these vignettes in like 2002 <laughs> when HD cameras weren't a thing. And now that everything is in crystal clear HD. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, what, what were we thinking? <laughs> what were we thinking putting Giant Gonzalez in a naked nude bodysuit?
1: It is hilarious. So weird, dude. Yeah. So weird. It's definitely one of the least memorable Undertaker WrestleMania matches of all time. I mean, Undertaker had a stretch of about 10 years there where it was like. It was one big hitter after another at WrestleMania, although he never wrestled Stone Cold, and I don't think he ever wrestled The Rock at WrestleMania or Hogan at WrestleMania, but it was like Michaels back-to-back, Triple H back-to-back. He wrestled Flair at WrestleMania, but this was not one of his most memorable ones. So at this point, I think this was his third WrestleMania. Jimmy Snuka into Jake the Snake Roberts, a couple of legends, and then into Giant Gonzalez. And then after this, you'll see kind of going forward, he does emerge into more main event status in terms of WrestleMania main event as we go forward. Yes. All right. Let's jump into fun facts from listener Mike, because this will give us some background on some of the things that, that happened here or some, some outstanding questions that we might have. So you brought up the black eye that Hulk Hogan had. Yeah. And it was looked gross. like, he had this kind of the stitches or something above the eye. Uh, Brutus beefcake got into a parasailing accident, legit parasailing accident that knocked him out of the, ring in competition for a couple of years. He, he, he had to have reconstructive face surgery. And so he's wearing a face mask in this tag team bout. So why did Hulk Hogan have a black eye? Well, this show wasn't long after Miss Elizabeth had left Randy Savage uh, for, for good. So that in real life, they got divorced yeah. while Randy Savage was on the road. And while Savage was gone, Elizabeth was staying at the Hogan's house as she and Linda, I think Linda Hogan. I mean, Linda li- Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. We're very close. And it incensed the control freak, Randy Savage, that Hogan had been hiding this from him. And so the night before WrestleMania, Savage got into a scuffle with Hogan and gave him a lovely receipt. But luckily, because of Brutus Beefcake's parasailing accident, it was easy for the announcers to say that Hulk Hogan had also been in the same accident. Oh, these guys just go parasailing and yeah. have their faces reconstructed. And it was terrible. And so it had to be incredibly awkward, as Mike writes, for the babyface Savage to be putting over Hulk Hogan on commentary ringside as that match concludes. Yeah, while his divorced wife is staying with him. That's definitely
2: weird. <laughs> that is certainly, certainly weird. And I think even in the promo with Dibiase, he says like, oh, yeah, we paid a special visit to Hogan after the gym last night. So they, like, they claim they jumped him in money talks and there was a bribe out or something like they put a hit essentially out on Hulk Hogan and then someone took care of the black eye in the in the gym the night before but I it looked so real that I was like that's not stage like that actually looked like it actually happened And hilarious that macho man and Randy Savage got into a scuffle after maybe a couple cocktails or something that's I would love to hear more of the backstory on that too
1: on the uh, the head shrinkers match so another one of the matches on the card it was the uh, second match off it was the Steiner brothers against the head shrinkers which I think is more notable for what Rick Steiner became, or I'm, I'm sorry, Scott Steiner became Big Papa Pump in WCW and grew like another set of biceps on his biceps, yeah. which don't show up in this match. And then the head shrinkers, Fatu and Samu, from uh, one of the most famous Samoan wrestling families of all time that also leads down to uh, the Usos. Okay. And I believe even um, Roman Reigns is an extended member of this family. But the guy that you might not recognize at first glance, but if you tie it back into the late 90s and the Attitude Era, Fatu of the Head Shrinkers was later Rikishi. Oh! He was Rikishi Fatou. Huh. And that's when he really flourished. I did not know so that. So if you go back and watch the Head Shrinkers tag team match, you'll see a guy that looks pretty familiar his ass wasn't quite as big no. as Fatou, but he later became Rikishi Fatou, and then they dropped the Fatou, and he just was Rikishi.
2: Well, Fatu When, I, when I
1: was watching that, I put the notes down. They were just like, oh, the head shrinkers,
2: another great PC term by the WWF. Yeah. Like, good <laughs> God, you guys. Like, Steiner brothers, these wrestlers from Michigan perfect billing right yeah against the head shrinkers not from america the samoans right. let's call them the all head american shrinkers.
1: white guys against some colored foe and like we're gonna, that's what it feels and like. and we're
2: not going to acknowledge that they're samoan we're just going to call them the head shrinkers yes <laughs> yep. vintage
1: wwf uh, actually here's the answer on doink number two played by steve uh kieran or kime steve kime is the isn't he the general manager of the cardinals yeah. different guy yeah But he had such a weird character starting in Florida and finding his greatest success in 1980s as one half of the completely uh, heterosexual tag team. The Fabulous Ones with Stan Lane (laughs) before heading to WWF as backwoods Florida drifter Skinner. So he was the guy that wrestled Owen Hart in WrestleMania 8 and spit tobacco on him. Then he becomes the second clown. But I think the most intriguing backstory of WrestleMania 9 is this. We're going to play a promo to kick it off.
0: Lex Luger. The narcissist. You come out and tell everybody that you're beyond perfection. You give Bret Hart a cheap shot today at a breakfast benefit. What's wrong with you, pal? You got to carry a mirror around with you to show yourself that you are the great person that you really think you are. This is WrestleMania, Mean Gene. I'm on a roll this week. I got a hole in one playing golf. I've been hot at the tables. Oh, Mister Perfect is exactly what he says he is—perfect. And tonight, the lecturers the Lexus- lark. And says, Lex Luke.
1: I'm going to go do it right <laughs> now.
0: I've had
1: yeah. it. I'm so excited. It's WrestleMania. Watch what happens.
2: I was making dinner and I had to like stop. Like, Wait, what just happened? Could, I had to rewind it. Was that live then? Why didn't yes. they just cut a second yeah, version? Yeah, that was absolutely live. I, or, or they didn't want to cut a second version I was like, man, they really stumbled through that. Because most of these, I got to imagine, are pre recorded because yeah. why wouldn't they be? But yeah, that one was a little bit of a stumble there by uh, Minnesota's Kurt Henning.
1: Well, that wasn't the only stumble for Kurt Henning. Okay. Because according to. Our friend, listener Mike, and then I went and found this video where Lex Luger, who, by the way, Lex Luger, I think he's still alive, but Lex Luger was in rough shape. He had some sort of a spinal stroke at one point. Jeez. He's lost all of his muscle, and uh, he was he was without the use of his legs and his arms for a while, but I think now he's kind of back to walking and he can move around, and he's in his early 60s. But but you had, like, on paper, this match was amazing. Yeah, right? I Mr. Really, Perfect. I for it. I think Mr. Perfect, one of the, the best workers, and despite that stumble at the end of the promo, one of the best guys on the microphone. Lex Luger was this young, up-and-coming, big star, big man that they later on would try to push as the baby face of the company. It didn't really work out that well. But mm-hmm. Lex Luger was like this big, rising star. And Kurt Hennig slash Mr. Perfect had been around a long time. So what was supposed to happen is Kurt Hennig was going to call the match in the ring okay. for the two of them. Right. And they had gone over like three or four times what they were going to do. we were going to be out here for like 10 minutes, and so we're going to do this, this, this. They kind of mapped out the whole match. And as Lex Luger tells, you can, you can actually just Google this uh, or go to YouTube, Lex Luger, Kurt Hennig, or Mr. Perfect, WrestleMania 9, and, and he's talking about what happened. So he gets into the ring, and they lock up, and they're kind of talking back and forth before they lock up. And Kurt Hennig says, yo, 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 what are we doing? What are we doing? And Lex is like... What like, Lex thought he was ribbing him. Like, what do you mean what we're doing? Yeah. I'm, I'll follow your lead. Well, Kurt Henning had just spaced out and forgot what they planned for the match. So young Lex Luger had to sort of, he only remembered like 50% of the stuff they talked about. So you will go back and watch the match, and it's kind of clunky because yeah. Lex Luger is calling the match. And there's a couple moments where they're not on the same page. Um, And, uh, and, he, and, and it was like, the match was okay, but it probably could have been an amazing match if, they were both on the same page, and Mister Perfect was the one calling it.
2: So I, I didn't know that that happened, but I thought something was up when Shawn Michaels comes out of nowhere and attacks, like attacks him at the end of the match. Like Shawn Michaels is in his jeans, and like they start this new riff. And I'm sure what what it probably led to was then Shawn Michaels and Henning maybe starting their own feud in in the next house shows and whatnot. But I remember watching it, and I think I remember thinking like, and that was kind of a clunker. And then Sean Michaels comes out yeah. and. Man, something didn't go to plan there, so it does make sense that I guess something literally did not go to plan, and it, and it caused everything to go into a tiff.
1: I feel like Mister the, the the biggest problem with the WWF in the Hulk Hogan era is all these guys that could have or should have gotten top of the card championship run, and either didn't because they weren't big enough at the time, and you know the the smaller guys weren't really put up at that championship level until the mid '90s and later. Or they just didn't have enough. They didn't have weekly TV until 1993, Mm -hmm. and so they didn't really do as many title changes. But Hulk Hogan basically had a monopoly on the championship belt in Ultimate Warrior for eight or nine years. And then a little bit of Savage here. But think about Mr. Perfect, Ravishing Rick Rude, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Jake the Snake Roberts. Like, these dudes in... Late 90s, early 2000s, for sure would have gotten two months as the champion, right? Yeah. I mean, like Jinder Mahal gets six months as a right. champion in 2017 or whatever. You, know, you look at a calendar year now in the WWE, Oh, and there's there's going to be like eight different champions, right? Yep. Like top of the card champions. Yep. And when WrestleMania comes around, all right, it gets honed back to like, all right, Brock's the champion here or AJ Styles or whatever. Like they go back to the top guys. But in the WWF, it was like like Hulk Hogan won the championship here, and then I don't think he wrestled for like two months because he was barely with the company anymore. right? And I just feel like there were some guys. Roddy Piper, I don't think, was Same. ever the WWF champion. No. I mean, Henning is basically Kurt Angle.
2: Like what they took from Henning and yes. place with Kurt Angle. I mean, it's, it's nearly night and day, the same guy. If you were to, if you were to watch Kurt Angle in his prime and Henning in his prime, it's the same person.
1: Yep. Both just sort of sly on the microphone, overly confident and cocky. Yeah. Great in the ring.
2: And it's amazing what talent that WWE, mostly Vince McMahon pushes to be on the top. Like I think event. I think now like currently we're finally coming around to Roman Reigns, but there was a four to five year period where they pushed him so hard. Yeah. That everyone's like, screw this guy. Yes.
1: Well, you think about even some of the, and we'll get to our definitive rankings here in a second. But you look at some of the main events that were had from WrestleMania one through nine, and okay, Yokozuna, yeah, I power heel. Like I'm okay with, I'm like okay that. with Bret Hart Yokozuna. Yep, I like that. But some of the guys that were in main events, Ted DiBiase got one, and that was the end of a tournament in which Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were very heavily involved. But it's like they didn't trust Ted DiBiase as a brilliant bad guy to just be like. The guy. Right. Just like let him be the bad guy that's that's fighting in this match alone. You know, Sergeant Slaughter, Andre the Giant at the end of his run. Um like they just they didn't trust guys like Roddy Piper, except for WrestleMania one. Like why not why not why not put Mr. Perfect in a WWE championship match? Yeah. On the microphone. I don't know. It I doesn't believe make sense I, and
2: me. I think Shawn Michaels was intercontinental champion to start the match, but like yeah, but why why wouldn't you want, like, Henning is the perfect guy to start as an Intercontinental Champion. And obviously, Michaels, that's exactly what they're doing, and I know he's going to be in main eventing here very, very shortly in the next couple of WrestleManias. But, yeah, Henning is the exact kind of guy that you'd like to push, and Bret Hart, who clearly, just him and Vince, never got along, never saw eye to eye, because... If you look at it, Bret Hart on paper is probably one of the best tactical wrestlers that's ever lived. Mm -hmm. But there was such a butting of heads that he really, maybe, didn't really reach the full peak of what he should have been able to do.
1: Yeah. All right.
2: Match that stole the
1: show for you. What was your favorite your favorite
2: match here? You know, this is weird, but I thought it was such polar opposites that it played really well. It was the Razor Ramon and Bob Backlund match because you saw (laughs) Ramon at his peak, like Ramon's just like chiseled, also just great wrestler, like. You 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 hate him. You look at his face and you hate him, but you also like respect the swagger and style. And then here comes Bob Backlund, like forty two years old. I think he's a Princeton, Minnesota native. And Ramon just like basically has his away from for for three minutes. Yeah. And I I know it's not like it's not that's probably the one of the least popular matches. It was so quick, but also I just admired how great Razor Ramon looked. And also, it was, like, one of the few matches They just got to the point, like, Razor Ramon's going to kick this guy's ass. Yeah. And that's
1: what it was. For three minutes, he kicked his ass, and it was over. So, I, I didn't really enjoy any of the matches on yeah, this I know. card. I know. I'm actually going to say, even though it was probably too long, Shawn Michaels and Tatanka was probably the match that stole the show for me. But I, I wouldn't die on that hill. No. It, it, it was what it was. All right. I'm going I'm to change up this last category on us here because we've been ranking. We've been doing the definitive Mania main event rankings. I think we should go, because now we're getting into, like, a lot of the main events are kind of duds here sure. during this stretch. Let's shift out and just do definitive WrestleMania rankings. Okay. So, okay. Um, right now, we've got WrestleMania 6, 7, 5, 3, uh, the other main event at 7, 4, and then uh, 1 and 2 are pretty low on the card. That's about what they, like, we probably rank yeah. WrestleMania 1 and 2 pretty low. Where do we have 8. Um sorry about that. WrestleMania 8 was second. Second. Okay. Yep. yep. That's what I thought. And then um, So six, eight, seven, yeah, eight, five, three, <laughs> yep. four. One. Seven. Seven one. Two. Is yeah. is a little bit lower. Yeah. And then one and two. Got it. Yep. So where would you rank WrestleMania nine? So that one and like the
2: second one I still think is the worst. Because it's just it's so boring. Like at least at least when it's outside in Vegas and you have macho man being hilarious in the microphone and it's gimmicky it kind of it kind of makes up for the lack of good wrestling and i'm sure a more wrestling purist would say well that's why i like wrestlemania 2 cuz it was just straight to the point and it was wrestling for 3 hours i was seriously bored to tears for that second wrestlemania yeah, the wrestling wasn't that good
1: yeah. in the early days
2: i i think i'd probably slot this between 1 and 2 is probably where i'd put it mm. um you're probably right. I think it's between I, one and two. I, I, the, I had, pomp, the pomp and circumstance saved this WrestleMania.
1: I had it last, but WrestleMania 2 was so poorly oh. organized, and it was in three different locations. And yeah, You're right. probably right. Like If I'm going to go back and watch one of these over again, it's probably WrestleMania 9 or WrestleMania 2.
2: And I don't mind that You know, like this one was only, like well, I think, 240, and I think WrestleMania 2 is probably a little longer than that. Like, That also, I think, helps it, the fact that it was quicker and shorter. It, yeah. And it was over with. So, yeah, I, w- I would say between one and two and, and
1: towards the bottom of our recent WrestleMania rankings for sure. Well, good news. WrestleMania 10 has some amazing bright spots. Okay, good. It's not. I don't I wouldn't put it as one of like the three best WrestleManias of all time, but there's two or three matches here at WrestleMania 10 that are especially the inaugural. Well, It was the inaugural WrestleMania ladder match. There was there was another ladder match, I believe, between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels before this, like a year or two before this. But this you get in WrestleMania ten for next week. You get the Intercontinental Championship. Oh yeah, Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon and a ladder match. Yeah, I mean inside Madison Square Garden. I would say most wrestling
2: purists have at least watched that match, probably. Five to 10 times. Yeah. I've seen it before. And yeah, that is a, an absolute classic. So I'm excited.
1: There's also a false count anywhere match between oh, wow. Randy Savage back out of retirement and Crush oh. with Mr. Fuji. Crush County, yeah. So they were uh, they were innovating here. But that's a wrap on WrestleMania Rewind. So much fun. If
0: you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar,